It is good to see you all again. Uh, I'm not our normal speaker. Um, I am a senior here. Uh, I've been not here for the summer, so it's the first time seeing a lot of you guys again. So uh, it really is good to, to be back here and to see you all. Uh, my name is Kent. Uh, if you missed Kyle's introdu- Kyle and Jeffrey's <laughs> introduction of me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for this, this opportunity um, for Austin to, to, to give this to me. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to, to be here with you all today. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it up to Romans 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 14, and we're going to be uh, covering the second half of Romans 15 and all of 16. So it's going to be uh, a big task, but uh, we'll, we'll get through it. Romans 15, 14 through chapter 16. <clears throat> So when I say the book of Romans, what comes into your mind first? The book of Romans. Maybe if, if you were here, uh, this was a while ago now, but two years ago, Chris G. gave his first message on the book of Romans, and he titled it, The Greatest Letter Ever Written. I still remember that sermon. Or maybe you think of the, those go-to verses in Romans, like, for all of sin, fall short of the glory of God. Maybe you think of, you know, the deep theology uh, in chapters 9 and 11, or, uh, or maybe you think of that, uh, that, that cookbook on, on how to cook different kinds of lettuce, right? The, the Book of Romains. <laughs> but whatever you guys think of first, uh, it's, probably, it's probably not chapter 15, 14 through the end of chapter 16. Uh, and I'll admit that when I read this, you know, in my Bible reading plan, this is the part of Romans that it kind of read quickly. You know, you spend a lot of time on the first uh, 14 chapters, and then kind of at the end, you're just trying to get through the big list of names and, and get to the cool doxologies at the end. Um, but the, these verses, as I've been studying them, have really become dear to me uh, because they, they give us a closer look into who Paul was uh, as a person, as a man, and as a minister of God. They Chapters 1 to 8 are, are all about the gospel, right? Sin, redemption, uh, sanctification, glorification. Chapters 9 to 11 kind of reveal God's plan for Jews and Gentiles. Chapters 12 to 15, uh, with the first half of 15, which is what we've been in the past couple weeks, uh, have been about how the gospel applies to our everyday lives, how we can live out uh, gospel truth. And now at 1514 through the end of chapter 16, we get a little bit of insight into who Paul was as a man. We get up and close and personal with him. Uh, this section is, is a window into Paul's personal life and his, his own heart. And Romans 1514 to 1627 remind us that uh, the book of Romans isn't just a doctrinal treatise or a systematic theology textbook, uh, but it's, it's a letter. And it's written by a real dude to, to real men and women who, who love the Lord. And so as we study this closing section of Romans, my hope is that we can see more of Paul's heart uh, and that we can learn from his example. We, we won't be able to dive into every single uh, verse uh, in, in detail, obviously, but my goal uh, for the end of this is that we all have a clear view of who Paul was so that we can imitate him as he so faithfully imitated Christ. So today we're going to look at uh, five examples Paul leaves for us to follow. Uh, Five examples Paul leaves for us to follow. The first being uh, Paul embraces his calling. Uh, And that's chapters 
chapter 15, verse 14 to 21. Uh, so let me, let me read those. Verse, starting from verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard him, never heard will understand. Paul uh, starts out this section with some encouragement. He, he's acknowledging what God is doing in these believers' lives. Uh, even in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, no one is good, not even one. Yet in this verse, in, chapter, in verse 14, he says, you yourselves are full of goodness. Uh, this, is, this is a good church. They're bearing fruit. Um, they're, they're living uh, the Christian life well. And yet even though they're, they're doing well, Paul still uh, says, I've written to you very boldly. He still kind of gives it to them at some points of the letter. And then in verses 16 to 21, we, we get to this, this amazing part of the letter where uh, Paul kind of explains what, what his calling is. We get an inside look at what made Paul tick. Uh, verse 16 says, Paul, Paul says, I'm kind of like a priest, right? In the Old Testament, the priests would be the ones to offer the sacrifices uh, in the temple. Uh, he says, I'm like a priest, but I'm not offering, you know, bulls or goats or grain or normal, you know, priestly offerings, but I'm offering Gentiles. I'm offering people. <laughs> and uh, no, Paul's not, you know, burning anyone on the altar, thankfully. Um, but what, what he's doing is he's evangelizing, sharing the gospel with people. He's discipling these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, uh, who through Paul's ministry become living sacrifices, uh, holy and acceptable to God. And if that, that language is familiar to you, it's because it's from uh, chapter 12, verse 1, which, which, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul is, is not you know, burning people on the altar, uh, but he's winning Gentiles to Christ. He's preaching the gospel. He's discipling these converts, and he's taking these people who he has led to Christ, and he's saying, God, this is, this is all for you. God, these people, these souls are my offering to you. Man, that's, that's, I hope you long to be able to say that. Uh, in, in your life, to be able to say, uh, God, here are these people who I, you know, through your power have led to Christ. God, I've, I've brought you more worshipers. May they be pleasing in your sight. What, what a gift Paul brings. Um, and I hope that we in this room tonight uh, have that same aim, uh, have that same goal in our, in our minds. Paul brings people from all different nations who will worship God forever. This is his calling. This is what his heart beats for, to win the Gentiles to Christ. 
Paul knows the calling that God has on his life, and he's fully embracing it. Verses 17 to 19, uh, Paul boasts in the work he's done for God. Uh, but before we think he's being, you know, arrogant, he says, I'm only going to talk about what Christ has accomplished through me. And it's not by my power, but by the power of, of the Spirit of God. And then verses 20 to 21, Paul kind of elaborates on his calling. It's not just a general calling to, to share the gospel with lost people. But, but verses 20 to 21, Paul talks about his specific calling as a, as a frontier missionary, as a missionary to unreached people uh, in the world, people who have no access to the gospel. Because later in verse 23, Paul will say, uh, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. And it's like, Paul, what do, you, what do you mean you don't have any room for work? There's like hundreds of thousands of non-Christians here. And Paul says, there's no room for work for me here. What does he mean? He means that he's, he's already planted a church there. They, they, those people have access to the gospel. Those people can hear the gospel. But Paul's calling is to go to those people, go to those Gentiles who have never heard the name of Christ, who have no access to the saving gospel of Christ. Paul's Paul was no, no Jonah, right, who heard God's call and, and ran the other way. But he, he heard it and he fully embraced it. He went in joyful and eager obedience to what God had called him to do. And perhaps God uh, has called or, or is calling or will call some of us in this room to be missionaries to unreached peoples in, in the world, to, to foreign places where where a kid can be born and grow up and grow old and die and suffer without ever hearing the gospel. At a at cross conference, a missionary conference for, for young people, for young Christians, David Platt uh, mentioned this quote in, in passing. It went something like this. He said, if every Christian shared the gospel with every unbeliever they knew, and all those people became Christians. So, so imagine that, right? Every Christian shares the gospel with every single unbeliever they know, and every single person you share the gospel with gets saved. He says there would still be 3 billion people who would not hear the saving gospel of Christ because there, there are that many people who, who don't know, who don't personally know any, per, any Christian who believes the true gospel. Many of us in this room will, will end up being those who do build on another's foundation, as Paul says. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but perhaps God might delight to use some of us here in this room to be the ones that he will use to, to gather people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into heaven. And, and honestly, the, the prospect of going to an unreached people is scary to me. I'm not going to lie. It, it is. Um, and as I've been prepping for today, I've been just praying for my own heart that I would be ready and willing to, to go wherever God calls me to go. Um, and I've been praying that the same for, for all of you guys here. Um, but whatever God's calling is for our lives, may we, may we embrace it, whether that be to be a faithful layperson in California or to be a light to a people who, who have no access to the gospel.
So Paul em embraces his calling. He, he's all in. He, he, this is his ambition, as he says. Number two, Paul uh, enlists the church. Enlists. I don't like that word. Enlists. <laughs> Paul enlists the church, verses 22 to 33. Uh, let me, uh, yeah, verses 22 to 33. Not everyone uh, is going to be a frontier missionary to an unreached people group. And, and, and again, that's, that's okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not involved in missions. In verses 22 to 33, Paul is enlisting the church in Rome to come alongside him and help him to fulfill his, his missionary calling. And I want us to notice what Paul is asking for from this church uh, so that we can better support missions and, and even our own Grace Church missionaries. So Paul asks for one, uh, money, two, prayer, and three, fellowship. Big three, money, prayer, and fellowship. Uh, number one, the first thing Paul asks for is money. Uh, verses 22 to 24, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. That phrase, to be helped on my journey there by you, is, is Paul's tactful way of, of asking for financial support, that they would provide him with the resources that he needs to get to Spain. This section is Paul's missionary support letter. It's crazy to think that like Romans is a missionary support letter, um, but, but this, is, this is what Paul is asking for uh, from this church here. And guys, it's, it's such a tangible way, uh, tangible and a sacrificial way that we can participate in God's global plan to evangelize the world. Uh, 3 John 6 through 8 says, you will do well to send them missionaries, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Supporting missions with our money is a way that we can be fellow workers for the truth, a way that we can participate from, from our own homes in what God is doing around the world. It's a way that we can invest in heavenly treasure that's not going to rot or depreciate. And I know many of us, uh, if, if we're students, may still be you know, supported by our parents, and uh, we, we probably don't have a ton of money. <laughs> but, but hey, if you make money at an internship, or uh, if you work at Taco Bell, shout out to Brandon Yee, um, or you get money from your grandma for Christmas, like get in a habit of, of giving some of it to missions. Uh, don't, don't think you know, oh, I'll give to missions when, once, I'm, once you know, I'm in a career job or once I'm making more money. Uh, cultivate the discipline of, of generosity now it, with whatever God gives you, with whatever little you have, be faithful in it um, so that you might be, you'd set yourself up to be faithful uh, in being a fellow worker for the truth for the rest of your life. Verses uh, 25 to 29, uh, Paul says, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they're pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. 
So here Paul kind of puts forth the Macedonians and the Achaeans as, as an example of generosity to this Roman church. Uh, this is in the, Paul also talks about the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 1 to 4, uh, where, where Paul says about them, <clears throat> he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Man, I love that. There's a there's severe test of affliction and their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty equals wealth of generosity. That, that's amazing. And these dirt poor Macedonians were begging Paul to let them give more. In verse three, they say, Paul says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Man, they were, they were begging Paul to let them, to take more of their money, that they might play a larger role in relieving the, the suffering of their Jewish brothers and sisters. Let's strive for an eagerness like, like the Macedonians to, to give of our money, however much or little we have, to support those like Paul who leave the comfort of home to be a light in a, in a pitch black place. That's the first thing Paul asks for is, for is for money. The second thing he asks for is prayer. Uh, verse 30 to 31, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Paul asks these believers to pray for him. But, but look at the words Paul uses to describe how we're supposed to pray. He asks that the church would strive together with him in prayer. Can, can you honestly say that, that your prayers for missionaries could be described as striving together with them? And, uh, and man, that's, that's a rebuke to myself more than anyone. I mean, when I do remember to pray for them, it's, it's so often just, you know, God help the missionaries, amen. That's just the extent of my prayer. And these guys, they're on the front lines, man. They're, they're facing persecution and, and danger and loneliness and spiritual attack on every front. And that's, that's how I pray for them. Man, God have mercy, seriously. These people are on the front lines. They're, they're slugging it out. And when we wake up in the morning to sit down and pray, we have you know, the opportunity and the obligation to participate in the work God is doing in China and Malawi and Burundi and around the world. And we can do that from our closet, right? We have, we have no excuse. So let, let's strive together in prayer, exerting ourselves on behalf of those who've, got, who've gone out, who've given their lives uh, for the sake of proclaiming the gospel in the darkest places around the world. The last thing Paul asks for support uh, from them is for fellowship. Paul asks for fellowship. Verse 32, uh, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Uh, the last thing Paul asks for here is his desire to be refreshed by their company. And and I, I listened to the, the Crossroads um, podcast from a couple weeks ago where, where Mark Zakevich was kind of interviewing some of the missionaries 
And uh, one of the things that they all said was one of the difficulties of being on the mission field uh, is loneliness, is being away from you know, family and friends and uh, people you've known from your whole life, being in a foreign context. Um, I mean, missionaries get lonely, man. They're not superheroes. They're not, you know, they're human. And so when our missionaries are back on furlough or you have the opportunity to go and be on an STM, uh, go and encourage, encourage them. Be a listening ear. Offer to pray for them. Offer to serve them in any way you can. Be generous with your fellowship uh, that they might be refreshed by your company. So Paul enlists the church to help him in his ministry uh, by, by, praying, by providing uh, financial support, by praying, and by giving our fellowship. And these are ways that, practical ways, very practical ways that we can support our missionaries as well. Um, number three, so Paul, right, Paul embraces his calling, enlists the church, and Paul encourages the church. Uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. I love this section. I'm going to read the whole thing, even though it's pretty long. Chapter 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencria that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow workers, fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of, of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. That's, that's an unfortunate name. <laughs> Uh, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and all the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus. That's my favorite name in there. Greet Philologus, Julia, uh, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I listen to like the, the you know, Bible audio book, so I know how to pronounce those names. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about, you know, how this section fits into chapter 15, right? Because it, it seems kind of abrupt. It seems like Paul's talking about missions, his calling, uh, how we can support missionaries like him. And then he just goes into this fat list of names. But what I, what I think we can learn from, from this transition is that, you know, we see that Paul has this great and grand goal for his life in, in chapter 15. To preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. This, it's, it's his ambition. And he needs this church's help to accomplish this goal of his. So, so he asks for their help in the end of chapter 15. But what we see in this section is that, right, in the midst of Paul's single-minded ambition to preach the gospel in the midst of his you know horse with blinders on goal of proclaiming christ where christ has not been named in the midst of all that he doesn't forget about people 
And that's what I, what I think we can learn. He, he's, he's not some unbalanced zealot who just gets consumed you know, by the cause and, and forgets about the people along the way. He understands that ministry uh, is about caring for people in a Christ-honoring way. He actually, he actually loves these people. They're not just a means for Paul to accomplish his own agenda. And I think for us as, as high-achieving you know, UCLA students, there's a temptation to be so goal-oriented, even, even in ministry, uh, that we can overlook relationships in the process and forget that, that those relationships really are, that's really the stuff of ministry. Right, small group can, can be, become a means for me to improve my teaching ability or my counseling skills or, or to just to be a place where I can, you know, share the gospel. And we forget about, no, it's actually about caring for these people that God has entrusted to me. So, so that's kind of how I see this, this section building on chapter 15. And in these verses, Paul kind of repeats a pattern over and over again. Um, and and you, probably, you probably noticed it. Um, and so I just want to track it really quick, right? He says, greet, uh, greet, you know, then their name. And then he says, in the Lord or in Christ or something along those lines, in the Lord. And then he says, some kind of commendation. He'll say something nice about them, right? So greet, in the Lord, commendation. We're just going to fly through them. Uh, greet, right? That's the obvious observation here. He says it 18 times, I think, in these, in these verses. Um, so if you say something 18 times in, you know, 16 verses, that's probably something you want to pay attention to. Um, and there's, there's warmth in that word greet. There's, there's kindness and friendliness in that tone. And if you study the, who these people are, you see that it, it's a diverse group. It's men, women, uh, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor. There's no partiality in Paul, no favoritism. Just a genuine familial love for these people, regardless of race or class or gender or whatever. And so the natural question is, well, you know, what is it that brings together this diverse set of people? And that's why Paul repeats in the Lord so many times. He repeats it 10 times in these verses. The, the basis for Paul's love for all these people is, is their shared union with Christ. Union with Christ, uh, really briefly, um, we just sung about it. One with Christ, I, I cannot die, right? Um, union with Christ is, in short, the, the mysterious reality that Christians are so intimately connected to Christ that it's almost as if we're in him. As Chris G. once explained it, the, the relationship between Jesus and a believer is so close that it's not enough to say that we are uh, next to Christ or uh, below Christ or adjacent to Christ, but we must say that we are in Christ as the Bible teaches. And it's this, and we're in Christ. If we're believers, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, we are in Christ no matter how much we feel it, uh, no matter if we feel good that day or if, we, if we've been nice <laughs> that day, we are in Christ. It's, it's this unshakable reality. And it's this foundation that grounds Paul's love for these people. Christian love, love between Christians says, I love you not because of what you can do for me, not because of what you offer me, but because we are both united to Christ. I don't have to, to tell you know, my left hand to be nice to my right hand because they're both connected to the same head, right? Same big brain. <laughs> Um, 
but it's natural, right? If, if, and so it is with the body of Christ, right? That if we are all members of the same body and Christ is our head, then it's just natural for us to, to love one another. And that's what binds us together. And so GOC, our love for one another can't be ultimately grounded in, in you know, basketball or boba runs or, you know, how we click with one another or our class or mutual same major. Those things can't be the ultimate foundation for our unity and for our love for one another. Our, at the end of the day, what must ground our love is, is our mutual union with Christ. That, that I'm connected to Christ and you are connected to Christ and therefore we are connected to one another. All right, transitive property. <laughs> it's a UCLA joke. Um, and so that's why Paul repeats over and over again this phrase, in the Lord, in Christ, in the Lord, in the Lord, because that's the foundation of his love uh, for these people. And that was, must be what our foundation in this room, our love for one another must be. The last thing Paul uh, says in this pattern is, is a commendation. I'll say something uh, nice, something encouraging about these people. So let's take a look at some of the things Paul says. I'm going to fly through them. And I just want us to pay attention to the lavish encouragement that Paul gives to these people. Phoebe, Phoebe, servant, saint, a patron of many. Prisca and Aquila, fellow workers in Christ, risk their necks for my life. Apinetus, my beloved, the first convert in, in Asia. Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, fellow prisoners, well known to the apostles in Christ before I was. Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus, fellow worker in Christ. Apelles, approved in Christ. Tryphena and Tryphosa, worked hard in the Lord. Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Think about how encouraging it would have been to be one of those people, right? You're, you're Ampliatus, and you, know, and you go to this, this, this town hall meeting, this church, all church gathering, because the letter's coming from the apostle Paul. And the guy, you know, opens it up and he says, greet I don't know why that's what his voice sounds like. <laughs> he says, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. If you're him, man, think about how encouraging that would be to hear the Apostle Paul say that about you. And my main takeaway here is this, that, that Paul is verbal in his encouragements. Are you verbal in yours? When, when was the last time right, you pulled someone aside and and looked them in the eye and told them something that you were specifically encouraged by them. So some way that you've seen God working in them or growing them or using them. Or, or do, we, do we think that, you know, oh, they, they know how I feel. You know, oh, they, we, we have an understanding, right? We're friends. They, she knows. I don't have to say it. Right? No, follow the example of the Apostle Paul and, and say something and be specific as you do especially if you're, you're a small group leader or you're serving in a ministry team, uh, make a habit of verbally encouraging your people. Uh, they, they need to hear from you. Don't assume that they, they already know that you love and appreciate them. But, but make it abundantly clear. Make it explicit. That's something that, that, I, that I really appreciate about Jaira when he was my small group leader. He was, uh, he was just never had to wonder if he, if he, if he loved me always just generous and overflowing in his encouragement and his love. And so uh, Jaira is an example of that to me. And what if all of us here in GOC had that kind of encouragement reflex, right? When we see God's grace working in someone's life, we're just lightning quick. It's just instinctive for us to, to 
pull them aside, call, them, call it out, and, uh, and praise God for it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about like cheap flattery, right? I'm not talking about complimenting Jeffrey Ho on his boulder shoulders, right? Even though I think we should all do that 100%. <laughs> but I'm talking about specific God-honoring words that, that point out evidences of God's grace in, in other believers' lives. That's what Paul is doing here. He, he's calling out specific things that, that these people have done. They've worked hard in the Lord. Right? They risked their necks for my life. And he's encouraging them with it. So, so small group leaders, you know, ministry team leaders, really any believer here, uh, those who you're investing in and meeting up with, discipling, whatever, you're friends with, uh, they should never be left wondering if you love them. Make it clear. Make it clear that you love them. Be quick to point out evidences of God's grace in their lives and be quick to encourage. And then verse 16, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you and all the people who don't like physical touch just shrivel up and die on the inside. <laughs> but part of expressing love is not only verbal words, but, but physical affection as well, right? Probably not a, not a kiss in our culture because of how sexualized kissing has become uh, in our culture. But, but, you know, a handshake, a hug, you know, Jeremy Tran slap on the back. I don't know. <laughs> All of those things uh, play a part in, in communicating our love for one another and our affection for one another. And so let's make a habit of specifically encouraging uh, those around you and expressing our affection for them, uh, just as Paul did. So Paul, uh, Paul encourages the church. That was number three. Number four is that Paul exhorts the church. Paul exhorts the church, verses 17 to 19. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I love that this section is in here. It's like, you know, greet one another with a holy kiss. And watch out for false teachers. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, you know, where did that come from? Uh, and, and it's a strong exhortation too. It's, it's very strong. He says, avoid these kinds of people. You know, don't humor them. Don't hear them out. Don't try to be friends with them so you can convert them. He says, avoid them. They, they don't serve Christ. They sound nice. They'll flatter you. But in the end, they'll deceive you. Strong stuff. Strong exhortation from Paul. And and it's a beautiful reminder to us that love not only encourages, it also warns. Love does not only commend, it also cautions. True love isn't, isn't just a you know, fluffy personality that, that only says nice things and never wants to step on anyone's toes. Paul's kind of love has some teeth to it. And that encouragement reflex that I talked about in the last section has to be complemented by a willingness to warn when needed, a willingness to correct and rebuke when necessary. Because a love that always refuses to warn a brother or sister in sin because we're just scared of how they'll respond, that, that's no love at all. Right? If, if we are constantly refusing to confront somebody or to warn somebody who, who's in sin, uh, 
we're because of we're scared of how they're going to react and how they're going to see us. Right? We're basically at that point saying that, you know, I care about you. I care about what you think about me more than I actually care about you. Um, and so true love not only encourages, but it also warns. And Paul beautifully exemplifies that here. Let, let's strive to have that same kind of love as Paul, love that generously encourages, and at the same time is not afraid to give a strong warning if it's needed. Paul finishes out this, this section, urging the church to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And I take this to mean, you know, be an expert in what is good and, and a novice when it comes to evil. Uh, that way, if you're an expert in what is good, you'll be able to spot these false teachers when they come around. And in verse 20, uh, Paul gives this, this really strengthening uh, promise here, a reminder that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Again, Paul encourages them. It's like kind of like an encouragement, you know, warning, encouragement sandwich. So I guess it's a, a warning sandwich because anyways. <laughs> um, but, but Paul strengthens this church by assuring them that, that God is going to crush Satan soon. Uh, that God will, that, that Satan won't win, you know, false teachers won't win, but God will win. And, and when, when God wins, uh, we're on his team, so, so we win too. Um, we are, we're the, the bench warmer that gets carried by the star player. Right? We're Alex Caruso, and God is LeBron. If you, don't, if you don't know who Alex Caruso is, that's okay. That's the point of the illustration. You're not supposed to know who he is. Anyways. <laughs> um, so, so briefly, we've seen how Paul embraces calling, how Paul enlisted the church, uh, how he encouraged the church and exhorted the church. And now we come to the last example that Paul sets for us in this book. Uh, Paul extols the Lord. Paul extols the Lord. Paul praises God. Verses 21 to 27. Uh, there's some greetings. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, uh, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Uh, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Uh, this starts off with some, some greetings sent from the people who are with Paul. Again, a reminder to us that Romans is not just a Sistheo textbook, but it's, uh, it's a personal letter. And then in verse uh, 25, Paul, Paul begins um, just, to, to, just to worship God. Uh, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And there's, there's really no other way to end this book, is there? Uh, after, after reading such amazing truth, such a mind-blowing truth, uh, it's, it's to read about the gospel, as Paul says in verse 25, according to my gospel, that, that message that, that we have been created by a holy and perfect God, but that every one of us for, for all have sinned and fallen short of that glory. And that the wages, what we deserve for that sin is death and, and eternal separation, eternal punishment in hell. 
But God, in his love, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that Christ took the, the penalty of our sin, the, the wrath that we deserved, the wrath that we had earned fell upon him in his love. He took it for us. And that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That, that's, we, we've read this, this about this gospel that saves every single one of us here who believe in Christ. I mean, what else could we, could we, how else could we end except just to worship God? And Paul here returns to many of the same themes that he opened the letter with in Romans 1, 1 to 7. And that was opening seven verses. Uh, he says, my gospel in chapter 16. And in, verse, in chapter 1, he says uh, that he was set apart for the gospel. They both talk about the prophetic writings, right? The Old Testament that foreshadowed the gospel of Christ. They both speak about the gospel going forth to all nations, uh, a theme that, that we've seen in chapter 15 and a, scene that, and a theme that we see throughout the scriptures. They both use the phrase to bring about the obedience of faith. And that's what the gospel does. It, it produces a, a living faith, not a faith that says, uh, you know, if, since grace will, will cover me, then I can go sin more. No, that's not what the gospel does. The gospel creates the obedience of faith. And this whole letter has really been about the, the gospel that brings about the obedience of faith. And so Paul is closing this letter by going back to the beginning and pulling out these key themes and tying everything together here in this conclusion. And then in verse 27, uh, Paul just, just kind of lets loose and extols the Lord. Paul praises God. And it's, it's really the only appropriate response that, that he could have and that we could have tonight. This is what Paul's whole life was about, worship. It's, it's the stuff of life for Paul, to worship the Lord, to please the Lord. And this is the greatest example Paul ever left for us, right? A heart that is just captivated by the beauty and the majesty and the love and the wisdom of God. And it's this heart that, that's so enamored with, with the beauty of who God is that overflows with thankful and joyful praise here. And so as we uh, close out this, this magnificent and amazing book, may we echo Paul's words in verse 11, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. <clears throat>